0: All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today, like always, and I always say, I've got another incredible guest (laughs) on. Somebody that um, has been an inspiration for some time now, a huge mental health advocate. But as I always often do, I speak a little bit about what the person has done and then introduce, and we go into the questions. So today, I'm gonna be speaking about this amazing lady. She was born and raised in Los Angeles, lived in New York City for nine years where she taught black history through art and performed in various community and off-Broadway theater after graduating from Eugene Lang of New School University. She's an artist, a writer, and a producer. She has done so many incredible successful films, TV series, including Condor, The Original, among so many more. And you can currently see her in the It ABC series, A Million Little Things. And I suppose, well, she is a huge advocate towards mental health, being a great supporter of the campaign. And like I say, I suppose it's where we first met. I would like to welcome Christina Moses.
1: Hi. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I suppose like we can take it back to the beginning. Um, wow. You've had an incredible career. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I remember speaking. I've been fortunate, as I always say, to have shared the stage, so to speak, on podcasts now with you twice. And mm-hmm. I know that your career kind of stemmed at an early age, seeing your dad, who was an actor, and your mum, and he used to yeah. play plays, and you used to you used to reenact them, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did. So my dad used to teach acting in Long Beach way back in the day. That's actually how my my parents met. And um, he would write plays and guess they would perform them. I don't quite remember, but I remember, well, I remember seeing rehearsals. So it could have been class, it could have been, but I knew he, he he was a writer. He is a writer. Yeah. But yeah, so I would watch the rehearsal and then I would go home and mimic them when I was like three years old. <laughs> with my little like, you know, those toy brooms that kids have with like the bubble balls inside. I don't know, like plastic, Fisher Price something oh, or other. Yeah and it would be like my microphone and i would yeah
0: <laughs> what well, I, well, I liked about you when i met you and everything you're so humble but i always ask this question to everyone because a tribute into social media and a tribute into your success and senior everyone would expect you to be some kind of extrovert and confident that wasn't always the case with you was it
1: no it definitely was not i no mm-mm. <laughs> i don't think i'll ever be a full on extrovert but i I mean, yeah, I was so shy as a kid. Um, like, for example, I would come home and I would, you know, pretend to do my dad's plays and mimic the actors. And then the minute someone was watching me, I would stop.
0: Mm. I was,
1: I was, ah. And um, yeah, so my dad thought I had an interest in it and I probably did. But he, you know, took me all around Hollywood and I was auditioning and... I was miserable. I was so shy. I just—he put me in his acting classes, and I just did not. Just, <laughs> as long as other people around, I was like, no, this isn't gonna work. <clears throat> but um, eventually, I, I am an artist, so I was painting and writing. That was like my my main form of expression. And eventually, I, I was high school. I just found myself doing theater. I was asked to be involved in some productions, and I fell in love with it, but it was on my terms. And um, yeah, but it was just another form of expression. It wasn't anything I was particularly taking seriously as a profession. Um, so I just kept doing it for through college. And then when I moved to New York, because I actually first started going to school at UCSC, UC Santa Cruz. <clears throat> and I was doing theater there and I was doing outreach theater where our uh, Rainbow Theater, our theater company, just silenced me buzzer here um and uh we would drive down to los angeles to inner city schools high schools and perform theater to get kids interested in college and theater and the arts and just knowing there is an avenue
0: yeah
1: uh for them and that was that was amazing and then but when i went to new york i stopped i just started uh finished my undergrad and i was heavily into academics, so I started teaching, and I thought that was the avenue I wanted to take. And then I missed theater and then went back into theater and after many years, finally. But yeah, confidence was was a main thing. And I, to be honest, I think that's why, I think I always wanted to be an actress
0: hmm.
1: and a performer. And, but I couldn't admit it to myself because I was, I didn't have the confidence.
0: Well, wow. I, I, always, I always say, sometimes in life, when you hear people and say, oh, so-and-so was an actor or a model or something, oh, that's pretty easy. Bloody hell. Like, I have done photography <laughs> for a while, seen modeling, even those little movements that they do. Oh did. my God. I mean, That takes years of training, because I'm like, I don't look like that if I do that.
1: (laughs) I'm like, no, it's a thing. Modeling is a whole thing. Like, taking photos, (laughs) being still, and still conveying, like, a message, a story, an image, an emotion, I can't. That is so hard to do. And then there's, like, a way of even, so there's, like, modeling, and then there's just taking your photos, let's say, on a red carpet or something, just so you kind of look like that's a skill in and of itself. I mean, there's really like ways of holding yourself that I i mean, I'm kind of learning, I think, I don't know. But yeah, no modeling, that's a whole skill set that I actually don't particularly have.
0: <laughs> and then it goes, it goes further from that acting. Like I, I i always, I don't know whether, because I'm an empath and I really connect with people on a whole other level, right? and I'm so grateful everyone who's come on the campaign has really just opened up to me and shared. but. What I notice when I watch something, an actor, it's something in their eyes that I go, they've been through this in real life. And it's just, it's a connection and you go, wow. Which leads me on to the next, your acting and all the cast of A Million Little Things, which is where I suppose we connected uh, through a good friend of mine, AJ Rochester, who'd seen an Emmy speech of you talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. And I started watching the show, reached out, ever think that you'd see the message first of all but um so anyone who's listening if you haven't seen a um the abc hit show i mean here in australia we can't get abc so we have to go on youtube and keep on doing some of this yeah so yeah i have to keep going on and like trying to download um and get them from the us it's uh oh wow it's, it's an amazing thing so the gist of it is basically a group of friends from Boston who it's like a serendipitous moment in an elevator. And then you, you will connect through commonality and stories. And that's what I like because it really resonates with the campaign. Everyone's got a story um, mm-hmm. and it all comes to fruition. Um, so let me, I'll ask you, you can tell everybody you're in the show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah, it's a group of friends and the core guys actually, yes, met because they got stuck in an elevator and realized that, they had a lot in common. And because if, if you look at them, they are all from different walks of life and their circumstances probably never, like in their daily life, wouldn't have brought them together. Um, but being stuck in the elevator, they got to talk, you know, and realize they actually genuinely liked each other. And so they, it just ended, like it started off, they would just go to the Bruins game. And then from there, they actually became friends and their lives started to intermingle and partners and whatnot. And so... Uh, yeah, it was about like a seven to 10 year friendship uh, with these guys and in the, in our families. And the one that had it all together, the one that actually kind of brought them together in the elevator, um, not made them go into the elevator, but the one who really initiated more of the conversation in the elevator that, that made them feel safe as they were trapped. Um, John, he was extremely successful. Just everyone loved him. He had the beautiful wife and children, the big house, all of this stuff. Just seemed like always there to help people, you know? The one who just seemed like he had it all together. He ends up um, taking his life by suicide. And um, it shocks everyone i mean no one saw this coming at all and so it's a group of friends navigating their own personal lives and who they are to together as friends as uh, a family actually because not that, not because of that but after that mm-hmm. and they all look pretty hard at who they are and what's working and what's not working in their lives and it's just that ouch ouch Sorry, my finger. <laughs> but it's just that that balance of you know the human thing, like our trying to achieve our our goals and what gets in the way of that, and you know all that stuff.
0: Yeah, and like I said to you before, like it's so well written. Mm. Like, two standouts for me is and um, it got me really bad. And my wife's always a mess when she watches stuff like this. Like I said, two shows in the US, there's, there's a million little things in Grey's Anatomy and you guys need to win all the awards because the <laughs> amount of emotion that goes into it. And as I say, amazing writing, because everything's so prolonged and you feel it and you go through the story. Um, but what the two stand out for me was, there was one with Roman PJ on the roof. I was like, oh, um. and it, it, it was, oh God. And yeah, that was just incredible. Um And then the other one was actually yourself in Rome with the note. Mm-hmm. Said those words to him at the end, like mm-hmm. something about your, your your life is you are not my whole life, you are my life, or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just and just that bit. It's kind of like the cam- how my head works as a creative as well is like the camera just pans on you and just holds on that emotion. And I'm like, oh, next scene, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not crying i'm not crying but,
1: like too much too much too much <laughs>
0: uh, then when, when rome shows his emotion in the scene i'm like because we don't often and we need to see more men crying i think that's yes. the thing. and he just opened up and you're like holy yeah you know <laughs> yeah. but yes written and, and um this i actually just writ some things because there was that main thing of the whole show is that friendship is being able to have the hard conversations and be willing to li- listen. It's a million mm-hmm. little things. It just resonates so much with what the show's about and the campaign, it's storytelling, mm-hmm. but it's having those hard conversations and it's showing, I suppose, the visuals that are the hard times, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, uh, yeah, there's, um, There was a question I was going to ask you because it was kind of related to that. Do you think like within your background of obviously acting and teaching through the arts and all the people that obviously have seen you do your work, do you think that the way that people can connect and resonate really well is going this way by storytelling and through visuals, photography, music, film?
1: I do. I really do. I think that, um, Storytelling is the oldest form of communication. You know, um, we've, Before we were writing, we were passing on for stories through oral tradition. And uh, it is a way of understanding who we are. It's a way of reflecting a culture, creating myth. Myth is always rooted in um, truth. To, to some extent, but we need it as a way to kind of call us into being or to make sense of something in our lives, mm-hmm. to make sense of of society and culture or to kind of keep culture and going in a particular way. Um, and yes, I think that storytelling is so powerful, whether it's through theater or film, television, music, poetry, you know, photography, painting, no matter what, you know, because it just kind of speaks to a part of us that I think would be challenging, is sometimes challenging to confront head on. You know, so we can kind of place it just outside of ourselves, but with just enough reflection so that we see ourselves there Mm. or that it gives us reprieve from something, you know, like comedy. But comedy is rooted in the deepest tragedy. That's why it's so funny. And that's why we relate to it, because we have to laugh at our life circumstances, you know. Um And the power of story is so important because it is crucial to see that ourselves reflected in every single capacity because that 's how you know that there is a place for you in the world you know yeah it's really it, it gives us agency to then live our lives and to create the lives that we want
0: it does and I think I think when you you kind of you 're open to all this and realize this a lot more, I think and I'll just take it one more time just towards, towards the show because it is just embroiled in, in this whole mental mm-hmm. health capacity. But um, a scene with, I think it is actually, and I hope there is a new season, by the way, because the ending, um, but it's, <laughs> it's where the whole thing of people passing by, John is in the bar and he's about to take a drink and the old man bumps into him. And he, 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 he got on the phone and he was like, that guy just saved my life.
1: Eddie, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And storytelling and those little serendipitous moments, I think that if we can become more mindful of, mm-hmm. we can open the conversation a lot more. But I'll, I'll ask you a question that I tend to ask a lot of people when it comes to your work, when it comes to yourself and your mental well-being, or even attributing to the show, has there been a single standout moment for you where you know that, you have touched someone else's life by either your words or your actions or through the, through the um, a million little things. This is stunning.
1: Yeah. yeah, my God, there's so many. Like we knew, we were all immediately drawn to the script, you know, um, and felt very privileged and very lucky and fortunate to be able to tell the story. And then to also just connect so readily with each other as human beings. Like from our first table read when we were shooting the pilot, um it was like, the chemistry is real. Like, we authentically love each other. Hold on, Charlie. My dog wants to go outside. Um, and, uh, and then, so when we got the pickup and we're shooting the show and, and you know, and we're immersed in there, we're like, wow, like these are really great issues that we're t- t- touching upon and it's um, impacting our lives but we're doing the work. You know what I mean? We just kind of like, we're in Vancouver and we're shooting and it's again, like, we're not like really connected. At least I'm not very connected. But I, I, I can say that we all kind of were surprised. But we were, you know, when you go to do your work, you're just not connected to how like it's necessarily going to be received. You hope it's going to be received well, but especially because Vancouver's not like, is not Hollywood. So there's no like, Hollywood industry kind of culture going on there, you know, so just it felt very removed and so when it started airing and we got like All of these emails and DMS and notices and posts and about how it's affecting people and touching people and moving people and saving certain people You know that was like completely mind-blowing and the greatest gift because what else are we doing this for at least in my view and There was, in particular, like especially being a black couple and being able to be that vulnerable on television and to have a black man, man, and then a black man on top of that discuss and go through depression. And then to come together as a unit to try to understand that and hold that and help heal that. Like that's not seen in American television very often so that was something that was re- we got a lot of appreciation for and then that episode that i did i think it was a I, episode 14 someday when the restaurant opens and regina finds out about her uncle and the abuse there with for her and her mother i i mean the private messages that flooded my instagram is forever humbling and like there were quite a few people who were like, I've never said anything until I saw your show. I didn't even know that happened to me. I had a feeling, but I wasn't sure, but that happened to me. That, so now thank you for validating my story and who I am. I mean, it was like, it was incredible, incredible. Uh,
0: it's, um, yeah. when, you, when you first saw the uh, script for it, when it was put in front of you and being obviously a huge mental health advocate yourself, what was your thoughts? Because like you say, in America, it wasn't really the open conversation thing. The only other thing that I've really seen that's gone into that much depth is kind of the 13 reasons why which yeah. there was obviously a lot of controversy around it. But with, with my thoughts on it, when I saw it, I was like, whatever you say about controversy, it, it's opening that conversation. Yeah. It is hard to watch, but it's the reality of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what was your thoughts when you obviously saw saw that script and was like?
1: I was, I mean, just that opener. I was like, holy! Crap. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know because when I auditioned for it, I had like it was during pilot season. It's this particular time where just there's constant new shows and we're all auditioning and there's a mad scramble to like for the networks to hire and to cast and to shoot and and so as an actor, if you're fortunate. Um to have a good pilot season, you're auditioning a lot and you're testing for the shows a lot in in a very short amount of time. And so I had a, quite a few that day and um, and so sometimes you can't always read this script. If it's a callback, obviously you want to because usually you're in the room with the producers and the writer and the director, so you need to know what's going on yeah. but you know you, otherwise you just get the scratch sides and go in and you do. So that's what happened. i I, I didn't really know what it was about per se like i knew like tragedy and a group of friends i was like oh okay so i did the scene and then a couple scenes and then she told me more about it the cast and director and i was like oh great this is beautiful okay did it again went home and i was like yeah i probably won't get that i got a call later that day saying you're gonna we want you to meet the director and everybody and the writer and say like, oh great so then i read the script and i was bawling and i was like this is amazing this is the best script that i read and I read like, I don't know how many that season, a lot. But pretty much every agent was that season was like, this is the one to get. And I just, I mean, the just a story about friendships, friends being friends and the drama, and then to, to, just around that in and of itself. And then you add on just like a very real layer of, you know, depression, mental health, cancer, you know, things that we're actually dealing with, a lot of people in life, just no one's really talking about it, you know?
0: People relate, don't they? It's because it's happening in real life. And
1: Oh my God. And it's nothing to be, this, this stuff shouldn't be taboo. This is stuff we should all learn how to deal with when we're young. Like, oh, we have feelings. <laughs> how, how, how do we relate to them? How do we... How understand you, them you know
0: how have you personally because you've spoken in the past like when we spoke on on other podcasts about even had anxiety and panic attacks before mm-hmm. how have you kind of within the scope of your success filtered through the noise of such a, a busy industry and mm-hmm. people and self-worth and all that kind of stuff how have you filtered through all that yourself
1: wow that's a good question um well, I think having a very, can you hear my dog? Yeah.
0: Is he hungry? She's hungry? No,
1: she wants to go outside. Can I just let her outside? <laughs> okay. I'll take you with me. <laughs> no, I can't because I only have one. Second. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, yes,
0: for the bathroom. Right, guys. So whilst Christina is away, I will say, if you haven't seen the show, hit it up, ABC, A Million Little Things. It is an incredible show. And she's just back now, so there we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to let her out so she can go to her business. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so um, I think that, I mean, it's challenging. It is really challenging because this business is very competitive and... There's an element that is very superficial, um, but of course demands very most of it anyway. Of course, there's a lot of shows that don't focus on this, but most demand authenticity and a, a talent and access to that talent, and um, and that takes a certain level of confidence, and we being relaxed <laughs> and this environment isn't particularly like where you can relax necessarily if if you're placing your permission on the outside of you. And so like putting it in the hands of the business or the people around you, you know. Um so I think having that awareness for one and just knowing that that's kind of a part of it. And then the, the job for me is to tune that out. So it's so it's such a layered question. I think like, okay, my very specific tools, I guess would be writing and meditating and exercising all of those things, kind of like the out, outer stuff that helps the, the inner. Um, but it's the mindset of, what my goals are like what i'm here to do what i want to learn how i want to grow as a human being and whether it's with acting or anything my insecurity is going to show up anywhere it doesn't matter so that's what i want to work on is is my validation my worth d- does not come from on the back and i can't do that she's a very spoiled dog (laughs) she's wonderful she's so headstrong very yeah anyway but like you know what i mean that that my worth and my value isn't isn't contingent upon the job or anyone else outside of me and so that is just a practice and i think that's a lifelong practice and that's that's that work that i was i'm constantly doing inside and so cause it would get to this point where like every show I did, I'd be really excited. And then halfway through, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to fire me. Like, totally. Like, I suck. I can't do this. Imposter syndrome. Like, this is horrible. Why am I doing this? I don't, I don't know how to do this. You know, and then halfway, and last year, no, the first season, was it the first season? Yeah. The halfway through the first season, I was like, stop it. This stops now. You know, because I would get sick, I would get so stressed out. And I'm like, no, this is i this is not worth it. I'm not doing this to myself. So, I there were podcasts that I would listen to. You know, there was just my own personal meditation work, and and I was like, I'm not. And therapy helped. Therapy really helped. It was the first time I ever did EMDR. Um, have you heard of that therapy? No, I haven't. EMDR. Okay. Oh my gosh, I it's. Excellent. Um, it started off, I might butcher everything about it, but basically <laughs> they, I think it started for veterans and it is like a, it's rapid eye movement, something, something. And it's basically like the binaural pathways in your, in your brain. Okay. So they would, you can follow a hand or a light or they would put these sensors in these vibrating sensors and in your right left right left right left and as you're reliving a memory you it's going back and forth mm-hmm. and, and you're basically kind of putting the memory back where it needs to be because trauma is yeah. not in the past when we're triggered when we're having PTSD or we're tra- you know traumatized and you know you're Brain, your amygdala fires and does all these things, and you're basically put back. So, the you know, put back into the the original trauma. And so, if you're if it's hysterical, you're it's historical. So, if you're in the present moment and your reaction to your present circumstances are not appropriate to what's actually happening, chances are there's a trauma there that needs to be kind of. So, I don't know the science around this or anything like that, but it's but you, you basically like as you're reliving it, you go through it, you have to feel it, and then. Certain degree, and then you kind of talk about what could have happened, what should have happened, and then it somehow just files itself back where it needs to go.
0: You're saying that, and it's so funny you say that because the last couple of days I have been in touch with, and they reached out to me a neuroscientist who was talking about all this and about how (laughs) instead of a lot of places, I know in Australia we do it, we kind of concentrate on okay, so this has happened, how do we fix it, but we need to be concentrate on a more precautions in terms of precautionary measures when it comes to what's happening is those neuron pathways
1: mm-hmm.
0: erupted. So we need to figure out why before it gets to that point. And the back of that, I'll connect you with this lady. She's, she's called Missy Fowler and she, she's a little bit more on the spiritual side, but in terms of what you just said, it's your body reaction. So you'll stand sideways and she somehow connects um, with, with your guides or whoever you want to believe in and it's kind of seeing your body reaction. She will ask you questions, like you'll start by saying, is my name Glenn? And it's like a body reaction. If you go forward, it's a yes. If you go back, it's a no. Whereas I, at the beginning, I'm always in my head. I overthink and go, oh, I'm supposed to be going forwards or back, but she can tell. And then when you relax, you go into it. But what came through mine, similar to what you was talking about there, was suppressed emotions. And it came down to the age, and my body was reacting at certain periods. Yeah, my body dysmorphia came up around the same age six years ago and then there was something that kept coming up with um when i was four to five years old so i contacted my parents and i was like did i go in and they was like no he was a happy kid but missy was like a trauma to a kid could be anything such as going up a year in school and you've yeah. built it so much, and then you've suppressed it that it can come out years later. Yeah. So we work through that. So similar kind of thing, maybe just on a on a different level. But unless you work, yeah. it's kind of you're going to carry that forward, and it can manifest into clinical depression or yeah you know, those precautionary measures, isn't it?
1: Yes, one hundred percent. So yeah, so that's the, that was the work I was doing in Vancouver while I was filming because I was determined to not be my own enemy anymore um in relationship to anything but especially with something that i i love to do um so so yeah and also i think what else helps especially in the industry but in general is just to lighten up you know like try not to be too hard because things are always changing.
0: <laughs> I want to show you actually, you shoot a lot on your Insta stories of behind the scenes and it looks like you've got a genuine friendship and Rome yeah. especially is always taking the, I'll say Michael. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you've got a good thing. But um, what I will do, as I always do, I end these podcasts with uh, a quick, surefire questions, just about things that we might not know about you. So pretty quick, what <laughs> is your favorite music?
1: Oh, my gosh. Genre? Yep. Oh, my. It's... This is... uh, mm, Blues, hip-hop, soul, funk. uh, Not so much funk. Yeah, some funk. Uh, Jazz. Yeah. I I can't narrow it down. I love music so much. I love country. I love just good music, if that makes sense.
0: I'll I'll tell you something. Australia misses out on jazz music. When I come to LA each year, my friends got me into jazz, and they take you to the blues clubs, and I'm like, Australia missing out. Anyway. (laughs) What (laughs) is your or are your, should I say, proper English there, pre-game rituals. So something that you do before you go on set and you, you talk yourself up.
1: Yeah, okay, so I breathe. <laughs> I I do, I just sit there, because <laughs> usually I'm not breathing. <laughs> well, kind of. But no, I really, yeah, I'll, I'll, it depends on what it is. Like, usually, like, I'll just sit there in my chair and I breathe, because um, that puts me in my body. I do some movement, Practices. I have like this little video that I made um, that is kind of based on uh, Michael Gervais's Compete to Create, which we can talk about that later. But basically, it's just kind of like knowing what your vision is, knowing what your purpose is, and it locks you in. Yeah. And so that no matter what happens around me, I can just kind of center and focus back into my vision, back into my purpose, and problem solve that way, like give myself. Just the things I say, like give myself permission to be myself in front of people and like just talk to myself in that way. Um, Yeah, sometimes. And then listening to music helps a lot too.
0: See, that that book that you just mentioned today, you can give me some pre-game rituals because as I say, with this campaign, I've been lucky enough to be asked to go on the network. Each time I go on, my pre-game rituals are trying to say affirmations, you'll be good, Glenn, you'll be confident, you'll be this. That shit goes out the window when I'm on a... It sure I, does. She's like, why do you still look so nervous? It's been like four or five times. I'm like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, I, no, it's... Acting. It's I just thing. Yeah. It's nervous. Well, I'm nervous too every time. But they, we should talk about that. Because he also talks about like just how to... you just, It's about training your nervous system and knowing that you can actually do difficult things and like knowing... Like where your body falls on what level of nervous, and just kind of like how to work with your edge so that it kind of expands each time.
0: Well, it's funny because each time I watch, and my my wife's like, "Oh, you look so pale," and I'm like, "Well, I'm already bloody white, you know." Like if I go,
1: <laughs> she's like, "Yeah, you look worse."
0: The <laughs> only one I was really comfortable was actually in the U.S. with a guy called Rob Mark, and they sat they sat me with a fake cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. I had, like, this has actually got tea in, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I watched them, and they were so good. They were like... Nice. And I was like, you haven't got bloody tea in there. You ain't got no- so Why I'm would sorry. they do that? Just give tea? I know. So <laughs> I actually got one, but there was a smart-ass on there that we became friends called Zach. And he was like, wow. if anyone notices on camera. So he held his cup upside down. and <laughs> was-
1: know. That's
0: hilarious. All right, what's your career highlight?
1: Ooh, my career highlight?
0: So far, life is going to continue. So
1: far, I mean, I love my show, everything about it. I do. I love the people that I work with, all of that, and I they 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 inspire me to no end. But I think, you know, and I would say at this point, in my career in terms of visibility, that's the biggest thing I've done. Um, but I would. Say say one of my highlights was doing Condor, being able to work with opposite um, William Hurt and Mira Savino, because they're just incredible actors and they were very generous. And also Andrew McCarthy, he was our, um, our director and I had such a crush on him as a kid. He was like in all of the John Hughes movies. And so he turns out to be our director, like, you know, like all those great movies, but like 16 Candles and you know, do you know those that goes, that, that
0: goes straight into my next question because I know you've probably got a lot across different genres and everything like that.
1: Movie?
0: Who's your inspiration?
1: Ah, oh, God, yes, I do have a million, bajillion. Um, <laughs> uh, well, let's see. And when I was a kid, Meryl Streep, I think one of the first films I saw was Cry in the Dark. I was like six or seven years old and it just like destroyed me and I, just loved her and I wanted to be like her. So I saw pretty much everything she's ever been in. And, um, and I was obsessed with classics as a kid. So I would watch, like one of my favorite actresses is Susan Hayward, um, and Claudette Colbert and, uh, Robert Taylor and Clark Gable, like all these, I yeah, I don't know. I just loved, I loved that old romanticism. And then today I think, yes, yeah, still Meryl Streep, but I, I love, um, Oh my gosh, Ben Foster, Killian Murphy is one of my absolute favorites. His, do you know Killian Murphy? Know. Do you watch Peaky Blinders?
0: I started watching it, and then um,
1: why did we get show? back.
0: He's very cockney. He's very yeah. It's really really.
1: He's so amazing. If you just stick know. with the show, it is so good. But his stillness as an actor, his full like, I, I want to be like him when I grow up. And and I've watched a lot of his other. He's just he's incredible.
0: It's funny because we sit down me and my wife that's like our time when the kids are asleep and we pick a new series and and we did that with uh, the obsession what everyone had over games of thrones and mm-hmm. we watched the first episode three times because it was like oh medieval i don't know i don't know yeah yeah you watch a couple you get hooked yeah. and then it does oh, yeah. and so that will be our next one actually because oh, it's, so it's
1: so good, good.
0: It's so so good. One. Um, and lastly then out of Everything that you've done, you're gonna continue to do obviously more things, but what would you like to be remembered for? Your legacy.
1: After, probably this. Um, I would say this, doing a million little things because the content, the nature, of the stories that we're telling and how it's touched so many people and how, um, and I think the outreach work that I've done when I was younger, And then also because of a million little things, all of the opportunities, like being able to speak with you and to help promote what you're doing as well as give an hour. Um, I just did a panel, us girls from the show, us women on the show, we did a panel for the wing and we were able to have these really incredible conversations about women in film and women of color and also fighting biracial um, in Hollywood. And, We also went to a high school and I got to speak to the kids and it was an inner city arts high school in Boston. So being able to do that kind of work. So if if my acting opens up avenues to have conversations with people where it it helps them understand who they are more in some way, or if, if it inspires them to go after what's most important to them to build confidence and um, and yeah, to just have no shame around just what it means to be human. And right now that's, the, the topic is mental illness because it is so just normal and everywhere. And we just need to like destigmatize that, so.
0: I agree more. And I, I will just have to end with another one just because this is on video and anyone seeing this will be like, what is with a hand? <laughs>
1: oh right (laughs) They're like, why is she holding that metal thing my dog got in a fight with another dog yesterday and I got in between and she's a 55 pound dog and the other was also a big dog and so somehow in all the adrenaline and trying to get my dog to get off of this dog something happened and it was so crazy like I held her and the next thing I knew my finger was bent like this and crooked and just like stuck there and swollen. I'm like, well, that looks not normal. So, yeah.
0: At least you've got to look at the grateful side of things. You're, you're not filming at the moment. so I
1: know. Dude, <laughs> like, that would suck.
0: You can't <laughs> do anything. You've got to hide that. Like, Yeah. Um, well, we will finish it there. But I do want to say a huge thank you on behalf of the campaign for everything that you've done. Like being an advocate and pushing it can't thank you enough. And on behalf of myself for you being so open and speaking to me, I mean, what you do through the show and what you do as yourself as a huge advocate in itself is amazing. So, yeah, appreciate you and appreciate your work and what you do and what you stand for.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you very much. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. And guys, this episode will be out in another week now. So for anybody who wants to catch up on all the latest episodes of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, simply head to Spotify, iTunes, or iHeartRadio. Until next time, guys, stay safe, and we will meet again.